Dear Patriarchy podcast. This is the Gaslit Woman's Guide to Conquering the Corporate World, where two sisters armed with facts and statistics, and we're destigmatizing the plight of the working woman. And that also includes all of our non-binary peeps as well, and also anyone who's been marginalized within the corporate construct or the wider world. My name is Lisa. And I'm Jennifer. Hello. 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 So we're going to start just quickly. I'm going to start with a wonderful woman. I'm assuming it's a woman who very kindly left us a five-star review. And if you have not done that, lovely listener, why don't you try it? It could be really fun and cathartic. And one of the comments that was left um, along with saying that the podcast is great, which thank you very much, is that the sound is shit. (laughs) Which like... Totally agree. We're really working out the sound issues. I just want to like make sure everyone knows we don't do this professionally. We do this in our spare time. We definitely don't get paid for anything that we do. And we've had to really learn on the hoof, so to speak, um, how to do this. And that includes all of the editing, all of the sound stuff. Clearly, um, we're not professional. So bear with us. We are really trying to make this a priority and make sure that the sound is the best possible sound that we can give to you. Because these conversations that we're having are important and we want to hopefully inspire you to have important conversations as well pick the pieces up and move forward out into the world with them as well so that's what i wanted to say about that yeah you know we and we also are like we're yeah we're figuring out the sound but we're also trying to shoehorn things in like in between our super busy lives so tried to record whenever we could and that sometimes made it so that there were extra folks around that were making a lot of noise but i think we're gonna try to just make sure that when we put things out they have really good sound so that might mean that we might do every other week and we might not be able to be in this current season as consistent as we'd like to be so hopefully you can just go ahead and subscribe that way when they do come out hopefully we're going to reach a regular cadence but if we but we will once life settles down if that ever happens yeah (laughs) yeah so make sure you're subscribed so when new ones come out or follow our instagram so when new ones come out you can we will make you aware so just in case they're not every week or they're bi-weekly or bi-monthly bi-weekly fortnightly they say over here Ooh. It's a fortnight. And also, Jenny, you wanted to talk about the Super Bowl halftime show. Or just Mary Jane. I mean, I don't... She's yeah. Awesome. <laughs> so, you know, I think that there were a lot of critical messages and posts and articles that I saw that kind of focused on Mary J. Blige's outfit. And she looked fierce um, as fuck. So She looked that. amazing and wearing a pretty current style for pop performers yeah i didn't find it inappropriate in any way you know even at the super bowl gathering we were at one of the men made a comment like i'm not sure she should be wearing that and it was like dude really yeah why are she's and she's 51 by the way like yes Yes, she can. Well, it just is it, it just like really got me thinking about how we are so judgmental of women and what they wear when like most of those guys that were up there looked like they were wearing pajamas and here she is actually dressed for a performance. With the guys rapping? You mean? Yeah. Or the guys at your Super Bowl party? All of them, right? I, I don't know. But, I thought they look good, but yeah. Well, I'm just, she was the most dressed up, you know? Like, yeah. 50, 50 Cent couldn't even get a shirt on. You know what I mean? Like, but, it's just. Like, that's always been his problem. If I'm No, no. Honest. And I don't have a problem with what he was wearing. Yeah. <laughs> but the fact that this is what we're saying, oh, she shouldn't have been wearing that when, like, we're going to a pop like a pop rap performance yeah we had like on what arguably the largest stage in the country at least it just is very interesting that like the one outfit that really was called out 
was hers. Like yes. the only woman. Like I do it's think that the only woman headliner. Because there were other women that were performing that were arguably even wearing less than her. Yep. And like no one called them out. Because do you think that because they were in subordinate positions effectively? Sure. All of it. Yes. Like I think that there's misogyny in play. There's ageism in play. There's racism in play. There's all yeah. kinds of things in play like Taylor Swift and Pink. And like I'm not saying that what they wear is inappropriate. I'm just saying that like across the board, Lizzo, like across the board, all these women are dressing in the same way. Beyonce, like everyone's dressing in the same way, but like you're going to call her out for wearing something that was actually arguably like more conservative than that. It just kind of got me thinking about all the ways that like not just we understand that men call women out for the way they dress and like because of the misogynistic yeah the policing of women's bodies the patriarch all of the thing yeah but this beautiful performance from Mary J. Blige just fucking powerhouse fucking icon was handled yeah and then on top of things you know a lot of the artists that I just mentioned with a similar type of dress for their pop performances but a lot of the women are white that are wearing the same thing and so like when a black woman wears it it's different too and then that you know then you get into the policing of black women and black girls and women of color and girls of color like how they're perceived as more mature or Mm. perceived as more sexual like it's just asinine that we are continuing to fight these battles and I think you were saying Lisa oh my gosh I have so much to say right now okay well let me just get no no okay so it just really got me thinking about how how this impacts just even the way that we get dressed and get ready for the world and then like getting dressed and ready for work and just the way that all of these lines kind of converge in the corporate landscape as well when you can absolutely 100% lose opportunities simply by the way that you dress but also it doesn't matter because there's this sliding scale and there's no right way because kind of no matter what you do is wrong so this woman I'll end here. This woman that dressed for her job is an icon in the field, knows what the fuck she's doing, covered up all the bits that should be covered and was dressed for the occasion and still and looked fucking fire. Like looked incredible. And still for the world at large, it was unacceptable. Yes. She literally checked all the boxes and did everything right. Yep. And it wasn't right. Because what if she wore a fucking pantsuit? Wouldn't have been right. She would have looked out. Then she would have looked dowdy. She oh, she's old. Yeah, she's old. Mm-hmm. So, 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 so. So I think there's a lot going on here. But what I just want to say is I don't watch football. American football. Oh, shocking. I totally thought you did. <laughs> I, I watched the halftime show because I am a child of the 90s who was raised in Southern California, as you were, Jenny. I that, was there too. That, for me, was such an amazing celebration of, like, Black joy, black culture that was so powerful to watch and so beautiful to watch. And whether you agree with the way that the rappers act or the way that the way that the things that they say, and I have there's bigger conversations to have about them, the inherent misogyny within rap, which there is a huge problem with that. I watched that halftime show, found it amazing, and I love that it's Black History Month in the United States, and that that was given a massive, massive platform because it was beautiful to watch. So I want to say that. The other thing I want to say is that when you talked about the intersection of race and misogyny, there is a great name for it, which is called misogynoir. And that is where black women are disproportionately impacted 
by that intersection of race and misogyny. Surprise, surprise. So they are effectively penalized, berated, battered, assaulted twice by these two intersecting forces of oppression. The other thing that you really touched on, which I love that you touched on this because I was going to talk about it anyway, was adultification bias, which disproportionately impacts black girls, but also girls of color as well. So like any kind of instance where the policing of black girls' bodies, the way in which they dress, the way in which they express themselves, they are, an adultification bias is, is applied to them. So they are much more sexualized from a younger age. They are expected to act like an adult from a much younger age. And you could say that of all girls, definitely. But again, that intersection, because that is misogyny, that is patriarchy, that intersection of race and misogyny, <laughs> or that intersection of race and the patriarchy, that misogynoir, that example of it is adultification bias. It's, it's what we see happening to black women and girls in particular. So I just think that's such an important thing to talk about because when you bring that into the corporate environment, mm -hmm. you get what was called Politics of Respectability originally by Evelyn Higginbotham. She wrote a book about black women in the Baptist church in 1993 and she coined this phrase, the politics of respectability, which we now call respectability politics. This means that in order for black people or people of color to gain agency and to gain success within the wider world, within the within the social construct that we live within, they need to whiten, and I am definitely air quoting here, they need to whiten themselves in order to achieve and succeed. Mm -hmm. So that's why things like natural hairstyles, afros, dreads, locks, protective hairstyles, they are considered and have long been considered within the within the traditions of the corporate workforce or the work environment as inappropriate. And it's also why when you wear a head covering to work that in the European Union, you can be told not to work if you wear a head covering. So that was a recent decision that was made by the, one of the European courts uh, in 2017, that you could effectively be fired or, you know, to a lesser extent sent home if you wore a head covering to work. Jesus Christ. Yeah. So I'm not, I don't want to go too much off piece, but like you see it in these conversations we have where when we're talking about women who wear a hijab or a burqa and people say, well, don't you want to talk about why they're having to wear that? Why modesty culture is so, why it denigrates women? That's like such a bigger conversation and what we're focusing 100%. on right now. We're focusing, like, don't, don't derail the conversation, right? Like, we're not talking about that. What we're talking about is you cannot police women's bodies. Well, we, the, the funny thing is, do. the funny thing is you haven't even gotten to the women's bodies yet. We're still stuck in their head. We're still stuck up top. <laughs> we can't even like, head. we haven't even gotten below the neck. No, it's, it's all about your head and your face. And so like, yeah. we know that when. And we're already stuck. Yeah, we're already stuck. You haven't even gotten to the shoulders and we're already stuck with shit that is unacceptable, with policing that is completely debilitating Yeah, for people that are already... Who already have a, a huge amount of obstacles placed in front of them. Yes, starting with an abundance of obstacles that are not presented to... White people. Those of the privileged class. Yeah, so it's like favored and unfavored, right? Within a white-centric society, white people are favored. And mm -hmm. black people, people of color are unfavored. So if you mm -hmm. are unfavored, then you start with a huge amount of obstacles in front of you. We know, I don't need to dip totally into the, the statistics, but I will say that we know that when person who's submits a resume or a mm -hmm. CV, as we yeah. say over here, if their name curriculum sounds... Vitae. Curriculum vitae. Curriculum vitae. If their name does not sound white, they will have to apply much, much more than someone with a white sounding name will have to. 
I think it's something like 16 times more in order to get the similar um, response, like a call back or or an email back, some kind of a some kind of a reactionary response to the to the resume and the CV that they sent out. So mm-hmm. we already know that that's a thing, right? So if your name doesn't sound white enough, and if your hair doesn't look like Brenda from down the way, and she's able to just pull it back into a ponytail or a messy bun, you got another problem. And that's respectability, that's respectability politics. Anytime you don't look white enough, you've got a problem in the workplace. You've got a problem mm. in the corporate world. Because the corporate world was built, has been defined for white men. It was built mm-hmm. for white men. It's been defined by white men and we have this constant trope of the strong black women so they have to be like superwoman all the time they have this angry black woman trope so you don't make her mad you can't just have black women exist in this space naturally safely Mm -hmm. they always have to do some kind of evolution of themselves of their attitude of the way that they express themselves code switching we talk about this you know these are things that people talk about all the time when you have to speak effectively a different language at work than you do at home, because the way that you naturally respond to and speak to people is deemed less than, there's a real problem there. Mm-hmm. Well, when simply existing is to your yeah. detriment. Yeah. Just walking through that door, you're already a million steps behind because you don't pass the white man test. Oh, where should we go from here? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. Well, I mean, one thing you you had said when we, we spoke briefly before starting to record, Jenny, was about the policing of bodies and also the policing of bodies that are not deemed to be normal. Maybe yeah. not normal, but like not the... I'm sorry, I was doing air quotes, by the way. Oh, more... Well, fuckable. I mean, yeah. It does come down to that, doesn't it? Right. Yes. um, Look, the patriarchy wants to objectify you in any way that it can. Someone who is relegated, who has lost their humanity and has become an object, is easily controllable and is easily disposed of. So I think that's kind of like the bottom line right there. So Mm -hmm. if you show you have a personality, you have inner strength, you have these abilities to be anything other than what they have, the patriarchy has originally deemed to be acceptable, you've got a problem. You know? Right. Got You've got people who, within the workplace, are demanding access for bigger bodies. They're demanding access for people with different disabilities. Whenever you're asking for the paradigm, the traditional paradigm of the corporate workplace, to be enlarged and made accessible for other people, for other body types, for other body shapes, for other ways of existing... You have a real problem and you get a real kickback. You get a lot of kickback with health. You get a lot of kickback with ability. You get a lot of kickback with efficiencies and things like that where you're saying that this person, because they don't fit into that cookie cutter white man shape, I'm going to have a real problem with them doing the work I need them to do. And we get that. We, we hear that a lot, you know? Well, I'm thinking if you kind of take every, roll things back a little bit further with how women entered the corporate world in the, what, 40s and 50s. Well, in the Second World War, yeah, I mean, well, I'm just saying, no. When women thing. entered the like the tr- entered the traditional office space, I, I mean, it doesn't matter what what year it was, but when when it first started happening, women entered the workforce as assistants and secretaries yeah. and receptionists. Yeah, women that were hired for those roles all looked a certain way. Yep, of course. And so that's like the and that wasn't that long ago. No. So there still is that 
kind of hanging on to your more traditional workplaces. If you think about like banks and do you understand what I'm saying with the, about yeah, this? I like do. so, yeah. so if you are other than that, the roots of women entering the workforce is of a certain type, yeah. and so all of the problems that women have, not all of them, but like if you think about it. Like the problems that women are having is when they don't fit into that acquiescent, pretty, fuckable, subservient, not necessarily vapid. I'm sure there were a ton of women that entered the workforce as secretaries and assistants that were amazing and should have been the boss of the person they were assisting. But I just think, I, I think that it's the, if we just boil it down to like looks wise and that cookie cutter has existed since then and it's starting to broaden, but like even that, like within the confines of like more traditional, more like patriarchal and misogynist workforces, that's still what they're looking for. Yep. And that's that type of mindset still exists today. hundred percent. It's not just the corporate sector. It's also the hospitality sector as well, which is where, hospitality and care sector where the majority of women are working yes so like it doesn't matter where you are in the workforce you still have this super archaic patriarchal garbage that you're up against every day in interactions and hopefully that's dissipating but i think that it's still there kind of in the just kind of in the roots of of every foundation that we've got going can I tell you a really horrible story? <laughs> I will. Okay. I'm a little bit nervous, but okay. Okay. So when I worked at my last horrible company, I heard my two bosses talking about how they were going to hire a new designer. And they were saying, they were kind of like whispering, but not really whispering. And they're like, oh yeah, she seems great. And then the other one said, did you see her Instagram? So they'd obviously like gone, like found her on Instagram and she had participated in Carnival because she's got roots in in French Guiana. So she participated in Carnival and she was in one of those amazing like bikini looking kind of outfits with the big wings, like all that stuff. And she looks freaking amazing. But these two grown ass men had found her personal Instagram, looked at that and were like ogling the pictures of her and said, well, it doesn't really matter if she's a very good designer because look what she looks like. Mm, nice. and she, so I need to underline that she's a freaking amazing designer and she's super smart and super like just amazing. She's an amazing, well, she's just an amazing friend of mine anyway, but she is incredible at her work, at her job. But that was not really what was up center for them, you know? Mm-hmm. So that came into my mind. I haven't thought about that for years Yeah, I actually have like a very similar story where I was, I had just started with a new, with a startup and I was the only woman that had joined the staff and it was a a rough ride. Um, But I had, it was my first week and I had joined a, I was the only person that was offsite, the only remote worker. And I joined a conference call and these guys didn't know I was on the line. And so they were having like a chit chat time, having chit chat in the conference room before, um, oh no, it's not, it wasn't about me. Okay. Uh, having chit chat time in the conference room, but while they were waiting for the man that had hired me, who was actually a friend of mine, uh, to enter the room. So he had left his phone with me dialed in because he had to grab something. So anyway, these two guys, so it's like the founder, one of the founders of the company talking to one of the, to the two sales guys. I think I've told this story before. 
Okay. And the founder's like, we just hired someone to be on your staff for these events. She's going to be like handing out like the marketing stuff. Her dad is on the board, blah, blah, blah. And so we just, she's going to be home from college in these times. So she'll be able to go to these trade shows with you. And then, so this is like a 50-ish man talking to like 30-ish men Mm. um, about a like 18, 19-ish girl. Mm. And he goes, and her fucking tits, man. She's going to look great in those t-shirts. Yep. This was a man, like, this was the daughter of one of their board members. Yeah. And he was so comfortable. He had no fear about that. So, I mean, I reported it to my friend and it was a whole huge thing. And not a shock to anyone when I quit a few months later. But it just was like, it was so normalized in that culture to have that conversation. Wow. About a child. Wow. So, anyway. Oh. I'm not so where do we go from here? And you know, we've all had jobs where you had to dress a certain way, where you were expected to dress a certain way. And then there were times in your career when like, at least for me, I had I had executive assistant and secretary jobs where I knew I was expected to dress a certain way. And I did. And then when I decided I wanted to get taken more seriously, yeah, you try to amp it up and like show less. Yeah. I think that there's kind of like a funky line in professionalism when you want to dress feminine and cute to where you want to dress like in a conservative, more masculine way. So you don't get the negative attention that you'll get if you're dressed in a way that makes you happy or you feel comfortable dressing. Okay. Does that make any sense? Am I just rambling? No, I get what you're saying. Well, I just want to say that it's unfortunate that women are judged so much based on their appearance rather than their performance. Yes. That it really has to become a complete mindfuck to figure out how you should dress yep. when men can dress however they want. And it's fine. I mean, like, you don't want Tom from IT coming in with his, like, shorty shorts and flip-flops. But at the same time, like, but there's a very did, narrow... If he did, you'd be like, that's Tom from IT. That's what he wears. That's, yeah, that's, I actually have worked for a Wade. I know. I worked with a Wade from so IT much. that did wear Hawaiian shorts and Hawaiian shirts and shorts yes. and flip-flops to work. And it was So fine. have I. And it was fine because they worked in IT and they were eccentric and weird. Mm-hmm. And it's mm-hmm. okay. Meanwhile, Cindy in IT is suited up. Daily. Lit, like literally wearing a pantsuit. A like, suit. Yeah, <laughs> literally wearing, wearing a suit. She's wearing a pantsuit. And pantsuits mm-hmm. are so hard to look nice. I, I. Don't love a pantsuit. I I think really, I dig a pantsuit. I see them sometimes and they look okay. But Mm -hmm. the majority of it, I always kind of think, because I can kind of remember back to my sort of early years in construction industry and like I cut my hair short and I didn't wear noticeable yeah. makeup. I definitely never wore bright lipstick. I didn't like paint my nails because I needed external support to tell me I was fitting into this world that felt so hostile towards me. Mm-hmm. I needed to look more like a man so I could pass under the bar and I wouldn't have such a hard time. So for but me, it you, was camouflage, right? Do, but do you feel like you almost put a target on your back because of that? Potentially. Who knows what the right thing is to do? The target would have been there if I wore a skirt or I wore a pantsuit. No, but can we just say that, like, it's always a moving target? Like, there's literally, like, no matter what you did, you were going to do the wrong thing. I just didn't know, like... Yeah, the evolution mm -hmm. of the target. Mm -hmm. You do Mm -hmm. this, so the target becomes that. And then you do this, and the target morphs itself to do that. You're Mm -hmm. always in the wrong, right? Mm -hmm. So, like, it's Mm -hmm. that same thing you were talking about with Mary J. J. Blige. 100%. I was just thinking that. She literally couldn't have done it more by the book. Like, Mm -hmm. she was a performer. She's 
I know I keep saying that she's 51. She doesn't look 51 to me. I just, I'm amazed by how amazing. Yes, because you've been told by the patriarchal misogynistic bullshit that 51 is a fucking old crone that should only be making potions in the back house. Yes. Because that's the only part she can play. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) But then I was thinking as well when we were talking about marriage, I was thinking, but Madonna's 63. And yep. she still rolls around on magazine covers wearing a leotard. And people yes, still but get- then people are, but then like 50 Cent is still in her, in her comments telling her to put some pants on. 50 Cent is? Wasn't it 50 Cent that said that to her? To who? Madonna? To Madonna, yes. Really? Oh, yes, wow. I think so. I have no idea about that. I don't know about that drama. <laughs> but, but what I was going to say was, so the target has evolved for Mary J. Blige, right? So she's like, she showed up. She was absolutely an incredible performer. Her outfit was a fantastic performance outfit, which is only slightly more clothes than what Beyonce wore when she did the halftime show, which was incredible. Mm -hmm. And everyone was like, oh my gosh, Beyonce, like she looked amazing. But there were elements of, when I say elements, I'm talking about people from the far right. We're going, she looks like a militant black woman. She is wearing an outfit that is called, like, hearkening back to the Black Panther Party, which, fuck yeah, she probably was. Mm. But the Black Panther Party and their legacy has been so vilified as terrorism because that is what the FBI and the CIA all wanted that to be, that you can't even hearken back to it. Even in, like, some kind of artistic, creative grasp, you know? Anyway, I digress. But, <laughs> so Mary J. Blige is wearing more than what Beyonce wore. She performs hard. She, they've got the ageism thing. She's got the misogynoir thing going on. There's, like, yeah. all sorts of targets coming at her. So she was just, you know, she couldn't win. No matter what she did, she couldn't win. She could have been out there in a pantsuit. She'd have been called dowdy. She could have mm-hmm. been out there wearing less. And it just would have been, like, who does she think she is? Yeah. She's an old-ass woman. Go back to your witchcraft or whatever. <laughs> Go back to your potions in the thatched roof cave. Anyway, like your witch Crone hut. Your crone hut where you, <laughs> where you go to once you stop being fuckable. But uh-huh. she hasn't stopped being fuckable. And maybe that is the thing, Jenny. How dare you still be fuckable when you're 51? How uh, no, fucking dare no, you? No, how dare you still be powerful? How dare you still be powerful? Mm-hmm. It's scary. Yeah. Anyway. That's a good place. Hmm. It is a good Up place. and around again with Mary J. Blige. I love so, it. So. Does, oh. does that mean you want to talk about what's good? Yeah, we can talk about what's good. What's good? <laughs> <laughs> okay, go, go, go then. Go, go, go. So. Oh, sorry. One more thing. <laughs> I just want <laughs> to say. Come back. <laughs> that I had found, like a couple months back, I found this amazing, I don't know if it's a TikTok or or a reel, but it's one of those, by someone that we follow on Instagram, but it'll be in the post. But I finally found this TikTok. I found it a couple months back and then I lost it and now I got it again. And it speaks it directly to what we're talking about with the politics of respectability slash respectability politics and mm-hmm. having natural hairstyles or locks braid strides like anything like that in the workplace in a white centric workplace and you are gonna freaking love it that's mm. all that's I'm all excited that's all okay yeah go, go 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 what's good i don't know if that's what i want to talk about anymore what's good yeah what i was gonna say from last week that that podcast that i really liked okay but just just do what moves you do you want to go first or did you want to go second? I can go first. I've only got, I've got, I've got one that I 
I love and I wanted to share it last week, but then because I shared so many other things, I was like, I'll just keep it like really, um, I'll keep it really quick. So I like to listen to um, like classical or symphonic music when I write or when I'm like doing any kind of editing or like work that involves lots of sitting at the computer. And I came across someone named Florence Beatrice Price, who was the first African-American woman to have her music performed by a major symphony orchestra, which is like a really big deal. Whenever we talk about symphonic music or classical music, we always talk about like white European men, usually. And I just, I never learned about women like Florence Beatrice Price who were out there fucking really struggling to get their music heard. Mm. And, And this is, this is like, this is orchestral music. This is beautiful stuff. So mm. what I wanted to say was, she's good. Find her on, I'm going to say Spotify, even though they have that whole Joe Rogan thing going on. Find her on Spotify or wherever you get your music from, and you will absolutely not regret it. Her music is beautiful, and there are so many other African-American composers that are out there, and their music is beautiful, and it should be included within the pantheon of classical symphonic music and it's just not at the moment it gets really swept aside and it's so important so that was what i want to say now you go love it love it love it love it so i think i had a really really hard week and i and also a bad sleeping week because the two-year-old is just we're going through that two-year-old regression where they just sleeping through the night is not a thing I was like, I had, I gave myself an hour or two every night between when everyone went to bed and when I went to bed, which just to be awake and like have some decompression time. And I was watching this show on Hulu that I had watched in the past. So it's not new, but it's called Bong Appetit. Okay. I love it. And it's this guy whose name is Abdullah Sayed or Sayed. Okay. Okay. Um, And he... Somehow he was given the the red the green light by Vice. Well, I mean, I guess it was Vice. Anyway, to rent this house, this beautiful mansion with this incredible kitchen in yeah. the hills in like the Hollywood Hills, someone somewhere fancy in LA. And what he does is he invites these celebrity chefs to come with his two like weed scientists and they <laughs> make this beautiful dinner party using like a very like it's a very scientific take on how to infuse meals infuse food with like cbd and thc and they talk through all of the different ways of preparing it and all of the great medicinal properties of this drug that and and just normalizing the conversation and, and then inviting all these celebrities for this epic dinner party from like different chefs around the city Okay. And then season two, he actually goes into restaurants where he is edu- where he, his little like scientific team is educating these chefs on how to prepare this food. And I just think it's a really, first of all, it's a very relaxing show, obviously. <laughs> it's not a very quick pace. And I mean, it's just these people in this mansion. It's not seedy. It's very classy. The food that they make looks absolutely amazing. And I think that we've got this, you know, with the war on drugs, we've got so many men and women incarcerated for something that now white people are increasingly profiting off of while other people are sitting rotting in jail for a minor infraction because of because of like the school to jail pipeline and and they do and they do talk about the politics of the industry and like how they're going like and the activism of like fighting to get predominantly black men out of jail for these 
for these minor infractions yes. when there are people around the country, around the world profiting from this drug. So anyway, 100%. and like it just it's done so beautifully and in such an educational and inspiring way, like highlighting these stories of like the way it's things are happening in the real world and not allowing like the right wing talking points of like the demon seed, like, you know, the devil's lettuce or whatever. So anyway, oh, so bon appetit, check it out. Okay. Check it out. It's so great. And the people that are involved are just super smart and knowledgeable. And, it, you know, I think any little bit that we can all do to end the stigma around this so we can just like set all these people that are in prison for nothing free for nothing you know literally yep. for nothing yep 100 percent, 100 percent. so jenny that's a great one and i love it and i love that you're talking about that because it's so freaking important well and, and there's so many there's so many people who are suffering needlessly and are in the clutches of you know our bullshit like prescription medical fucking nightmare that we have in the United States who are on pain pills who are on all of these substances to like just live their life when actually like this herb that grows from the ground yeah. could heal and change so many lives but 100%. instead we instead we want to complete continue to make money from it and profit from it in the way that like the patriarchal misogynistic racist society deems as acceptable so 100 percent. i love that that's a great one that's such a good one a good good one thank you high five super duper high five oh my gosh but we just want to say thank you for hanging in there with us hopefully the sound is better on this one i have i have high hopes for it Me too. um so uh but just take it with a grain of salt like we're not we're not professional at all we are doing our absolute absolute best and we will always try and give the best possible product to you but we're human we fail we make mistakes we get back up when we try again and this is I us trying again Aaliyah I know mm. oh my gosh okay yes okay Right. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook and TikTok at Dear Patriarchy Pod. Email us patriarchypod at gmail.com, patriarchy underscore pod at Twitter. And, um, you know, big things to come. We, we're, we're still figuring it out. It's a rough season. Thank you so much for hanging in there with us right now and uh, for keeping the conversation going. And the as best always, is yet to oh, come. Yes, it is. Love, light, and good night, bitches. Good night. <laughs>